Welcome to episode three of the Running Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Lee. As a reminder, Running Shorts is a running-themed podcast that interviews runners, the community that supports them, race organizers, equipment and apparel manufacturers, and more. We speak with everyone from back-of-the-pack penguins, mid-packers, age group winners, to world-class elites to find out their training secrets, favorite races, and running history. Right now, we're in the midst of talking about my running journey. Let's recap where we left off. At the end of episode two, I had just finished detailing the end of my college running career at Division Three Tufts University. Tufts is a member of the New England Small College Athletic Conference, which is a mouthful. So it's sometimes abbreviated to NESCAC. Some well-known NESCAC schools include Amherst College, Middlebury College, Wesleyan University, and Williams College. You, re- you may remember that during my freshman year, the week before the season-ending cross-country championship race, the team was supposed to be tapering. In my mind, and based on my high school experience, a taper is a complete shutdown of extraneous exercise. No light jogs, no strides, no weights, nothing. As a result, before the championship race, I didn't run. This was back in 2005, and we uploaded our runs to what you can envision was a precursor to Strava. If you want to look at the site, at the site, it's still up at gojumbos.com. When my coach saw that I hadn't run all week, he was livid. He thought I was being insubordinate and lazy. We got on a call, me with my little Motorola Razor flip phone, as this was pre-iPhone days. Immediately, my coach started reaming me out and said he was going to pull me from the championship race roster. I couldn't believe it. I'd bust my butt all year and earned that spot. I also couldn't believe that he didn't even take the time to understand my viewpoint or my previous training history. I didn't grow up in an elite running environment. Concepts like a taper were foreign to me. Eventually, I did get to run the race. I'm not sure how Ethan Barron, the head coach, and I resolved it. Maybe he realized that I had no malintent, or maybe he thought he hadn't actually coached me and provided guidance on what a proper taper was. Regardless, we never really resolved our differences, and the trust between a coach and his trainee was broken. I saw how quickly he turned on me, how little he sought to understand me, and the rest was history. I never ran indoor or outdoor track in college, and my commitment to the cross-country team was more out of routine than passion. As I gradually pulled back on my devotion to cross-country over the rest of my college days, I was ramping up on a new commitment, my military training. I joined the Navy ROTC program, which stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps. This is one of the feeder programs to becoming a Naval Military Officer. My obligations for ROTC training during the academic year involved taking certain coursework, everything from physics to history of naval warfare, twice-weekly morning workouts at 6 a.m., which felt very early for a college student, and weekly leadership labs where we had guest speakers. Fellow midshipmen, the title for ROTC students, became my new team instead of the cross-country team. It was the fall of my senior year and during the middle of cross-country season when I decided to run my first marathon, the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. I ran with a few other ROTC friends and finished in three hours and 32 minutes. Little did I know this would be the first marathon of 20 to date. And little did I know about how to run a marathon. At least I negative split, running one hour and 53 minutes in the first half and one hour, 39 minutes in the second half. But I wore a cotton t-shirt and carried a point-and-shoot camera with me for Pete's sake. Looking back, participating in ROTC was relatively fun. We did things like go to the gun range, go out on weekend field exercises where we camped in the woods and simulated different scenarios, and I became a stronger all-around athlete. During the summers, instead of doing regular internships like most college students, we did military training. 
In the accompanying blog post, I'll include some photos of me on ship and before slash after an F-18 jet ride. When I was in ROTC, was also around the time that CrossFit was really big, and we did exercises like MRF, a sequence named after a Navy SEAL who died in combat. Lieutenant Michael Murphy's story was immortalized in the book and movie Lone Survivor. Murph was the SEAL team leader who refused to kill the goat herders who stumbled on the team's position. It's speculated that these goat herders gave away the team's position to the local Taliban. Lieutenant Murphy was awarded the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest military award, for his actions during the ensuing firefight. The Murph workout consists of a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and a final one-mile run. The pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats can be partitioned and scaled as needed. For instance, if you can only do five pull-ups at a time, you you do those five pull-ups, then you do your push-ups, and then you do your air squats. If you go back and try to do more pull-ups and you can't, you can continue doing push-ups and air squats. Ultimately, you have to hit that 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats number before you can do the final one-mile run and complete the exercise. It was doing exercises like this in the cold Boston winter mornings that helped harden my mind and turn me from a scrawny 120-pound college freshman who couldn't do a single pull-up to an eventual 150-pound college senior that could do 30 dead hang pull-ups and commissioned as a Marine Corps officer. All newly commissioned Marine Corps officers go to the basic school, also known as TBS, in Quantico, Virginia. It's a six-month co-ed program where you're taught all the skills of an infantry officer. Things like land navigation, how to cover and conceal your position from the enemy, or how to maneuver on the battlefield. It all felt very primal. Every day we were doing some form of physical activity. In the blog post, I'll include a picture of me in camouflage face paint. Two of my favorite events from TBS were the obstacle course and pugil sticks. I'll also provide a YouTube link to videos of what both events look like in the accompanying blog post. The obstacle course is probably what you imagine. Well, I guess I'm not sure exactly what you imagine. Basically, you run a course in military boots, camouflage trousers, and a t-shirt. The obstacles are logs, horizontal metal bars, vertical wooden wall, and a few more items and a rope climb. You do this for time, and it's basically the fastest person wins. Pugil sticks is like fighting with a giant Q-tip, similar to what you'd see on American Gladiators. At the end of the basic school, there's an award given out called the Iron Mike. It's presented to the student in the graduating class that is the most physically fit. During all of TBS, I was running neck and neck with another Marine, Thomas Worthington, for the award. I was definitely faster on the obstacle course and performed better on the physical fitness test, which consists of a three-mile run, 20 pull-ups, and 100 sit-ups. But he was stronger, could carry more weight on hikes, and was more physically imposing. In the end, he won the award. I think a few factors were against me here. First, I almost think of the award as the best all-around athlete. I was better at cardio and could run faster in shorts and a t-shirt, but in terms of military fitness, he was better. If we had to fight, he would win. However, the other reason why I think I lost is because I chose to become a military communications officer and he chose a combat arms occupational specialty. Remember how I talked about how being in the Marines felt primal? Well, if your job entailed shooting or getting shot at, you were on top of the pyramid. We called you the main effort. Everybody everybody worked to make sure you were successful because you had the most at risk, your life. If your primary job didn't entail shooting or getting shot at, you were the supporting effort. 
I think this was the tie-breaking strike against me. It was disappointing not to win the award, but at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. After finishing the basic school in 2010, I was in Quantico, Virginia for six more months to do communication school. It was at this time that I was selected for the All-Marine Running Team. The All-Marine Running Team is composed of the top active duty Marine runners. The minimum standards for the team are, for men, a 5K faster than 17 minutes, a 10K faster than 35 minutes, 10 marathon or 10 mile race faster than 58 minutes, a half marathon faster than an hour 18 minutes, a full marathon faster than two hours 48 minutes. For women, the times to beat are a 5K faster than 20 minutes, a 10K faster than 41 minutes, a 10 mile race faster than an hour and eight minutes, a half marathon faster than an hour 32, and a full marathon faster than three hours and 15 minutes. I qualified for the team based on my half marathon time and collegiate running experience. By being on the All-Marine team, you have the opportunity to represent your military branch of service in various events like the Marathon Armed Forces Championship. The goal of the program is to represent your military branch to the public, foster esprit de corps, and compete against other branches for supremacy. The fall of 2010, I ran two events with the All-Marine team. In September, I ran the Air Force Half Marathon in Dayton, Ohio, and finished in 10th place with a time of 1 hour, 16 minutes, 39 seconds. And in October, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, which doubled as the Armed Forces Marathon Championship in Washington, D.C. This was my fourth marathon and a new PR. I finished in 2 hours, 49 minutes, 20 seconds. This was a 43-minute improvement over my first marathon time just two years earlier on the same course when I ran 3 hours and 32 minutes. As the calendar turned from 2010 to 2011, I also did my first New York Roadrunners race. It was the 2011 Empire State Building run-up. The Empire State Building run-up goes from the ground floor to the observation deck. It's 1,576 stairs and 86 flights. I have no recollection of why I signed up for this race. Perhaps it's because when I was in Virginia for training and my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was in Boston finishing up college, we would always meet in the middle and go to New York City. But in 2011, she was living in the national capital region as well. Maybe we went to New York as a diversion because I had recently found out I would be deploying to Afghanistan later that year. In the race, I finished 46th out of 441 people, but I remember leaving the race so incensed because of how the winner ran. At the start of the race, Thomas Dold, who has won the race seven times in his career, outstretched his arms to prevent anyone from going by him. As a result, he was first into the stairwell. The stairwells are relatively narrow so nobody can pass. I remember being so mad, I actually tried to submit an op-ed to Runner's World. You can see a picture of how Thomas outstretched his arms at the beginning of the race in the blog post. The Empire State Building run-up was a fun but short-lived diversion. My deployment to Afghanistan was imminent. Just one month later, in March of 2011, I deployed to Camp Leatherneck, Afghanistan for one full calendar year, a trip around the sun. I was on a large base that served as the command post for operations in southwest Afghanistan, which include very active fighting regions like Helmand province, widely considered the most dangerous province in Afghanistan. For the military members who went, quote unquote, outside the wire, whether that be op for operations, convoys, raids, etc., it was incredibly dangerous. My life was more routine. 
I was, re- I was responsible for communications infrastructure in the region. Think about the developing and war-torn world. There's no Verizon or AT&T for phone service, no Spectrum or Comcast for internet, no WHYY or WNYC for radio. If you don't have any of those services, how are you supposed to communicate? That's what my responsibility was. Make sure comms worked. About halfway through my deployment was the Marine Corps Marathon. There has been a tradition since 2006 called the Marine Corps Marathon Forward. For all forward deployed members of the armed forces, they can run 26.2 miles, receive a medal, and be part of a special results category of runners. I decided to organize this race for my base. The Marine Corps Marathon Forward on Camp Leatherneck would happen the same day as the race back in the United States. I mapped out the course, got approval from base leadership to run four laps inside the base perimeter. I organized volunteers, got donations from goo energy gels and prizes. Chris McDougall, for instance, donated copies of his very famous book, Born to Run. We even managed to raise a few thousand dollars for the Semper Fi Fund charity. The Semper Fi Fund is an organization that provides immediate financial assistance and lifetime support to combat wounded, critically ill, and catastrophically injured members of all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces and their families. Semper Fi is short for Semper Fidelis, which is the motto of the Marine Corps. It means always faithful in Latin. In addition to organizing the race, I also raced it. I actually still have the GPS of the race on my Garmin Connect account, but since the course is on a military base in a war zone, I locked down the privacy settings. I ended up placing second in three hours and seven minutes. Not bad for a dusty course in the middle of nowhere with relatively little support and no cheering fans. Maybe one of the coolest pieces of the marathon was that the first, second, and third place finishers came from different countries. First place finished in two hours and 49 minutes and was from the UK. I was second. Third place was an Estonian. It really showcased the coalition that fought side by side. There are some truly fantastic photos and a news article of the event, which will be included in the accompanying blog post on the runningshorts.org website. Finally, my deployment ended in 2012, and I came back to the United States. Not a second too soon. Even though my day-to-day in Afghanistan was relatively safe, there were attacks on the base, including one the month I left. Taliban managed to breach the base, destroy six jets, and kill two Marines. I left the Marine Corps in 2013 and went to business school. Looking back, starting with that 2011 Marine Corps Marathon Forward race in Afghanistan, I went through a doldrum period with my running until 2017. I kept running, but with very little intention. I ran 10 marathons in those seven years, and outside of my first marathons, they were my slowest. I was content to be running around three hours. In future episodes, I may talk about those races and how I got back into chasing time goals. However, that's it for this episode. Thank you for sticking around to the finish. If you want to learn more about the process of becoming a Marine Corps officer, I highly recommend the book One Bullet Away by Nate Fick. He chronicles his decision to join the Marines after graduating from Dartmouth and the global war on terrorism after 9-11. Nate's writing was a cult classic among newly commissioned officers. Also, I'm excited to announce three upcoming show guests. Our next episode is going to be with Sid Garza-Hillman, who directs the Mendocino Ultramarathon, which is the only marathon I've ever run. I've run that race four times now. We're also going to have Vanessa Klein on the show. 
She organizes Beast Pacing, which provides running pacers at events all across the country. I paced the 2019 Napa Valley Marathon for the three-hour, five-minute marathon group as a part of Beast Pacing. She's also a race organizer of the Batona Trail Race, which runs the entire 55-mile distance of the Batona Trail in New Jersey. Lastly, we're working on getting Steve Lasto of NYC Runs on the show. Steve founded NYC Runs in 2009 to provide more racing opportunities in the entire New York metropolitan area. A quick word about NYC Runs. With COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic occurring, NYC Runs is in a world of hurt. Revenue has fallen to about 10% of what it should be this time of year. They've had to lay off most of their staff, and the remaining staff took a 50% pay cut. However, Steve has come up with an incredibly innovative idea for how to generate revenue to support their laid-off employees while they ride out the storm. You can buy one, two, five, or 10-year entry to all NYC Runs owned and operated races. By paying this entry fee up front for between $650 to $3,000, you won't have to pay any additional money for any NYC Runs owned and operated races over that time frame. Check it out at nycruns.com. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you want to see the photos and videos that I referenced throughout this episode, check out our website, runningshorts.org. If you've enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe, give a review, and share it on your favorite social media channels. You can find us at the following places. Instagram.com slash runningshorts, the website runningshorts.org, and my email andrew at runningshorts.org. Until next time, enjoy the trial of miles and the miles of trials.